Super Talk Mississippi media production. What is Moondog? Moondog Makers and Bakers is not just a catering company. It's blended tradition with innovation and something familiar just done differently. To get a taste of what they're truly all about, you can order some awesome merch, crafted spice blends, or request catering for your very own event. MoondogMakersandBakers.com. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Hey, 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 all. Bringing you today's show from our Keep Mississippi Beautiful studios. Oh, yeah, and welcome to In a Mississippi Minute. Okay, as a songwriter that's made a living his entire life off of all things music, blessings for sure, I'm flat out thrilled to get to know better today's guest. One of his songs alone, the classic tie yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. You remember the Tony Orlando and Dawn smash hit has been recorded worldwide by other artists over 3000 times. What? And then there's so many more hits like knock three times on the ceiling. If you want me and the list just keeps coming on the hits. Other musicians who have recorded his songs include Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, Perry Como, Leslie Gore, Johnny Mathis, Donny Osmond, and check this out. He's currently at the You Ain't Heard Nothing Yet rocking age of 79, where he has been on a writing binge with the lead man of the Black Keys, Dan Auerbach. Around 80 tunes have been written by this new dynamic duo, with 40 of them all already recorded. As they are on this quest to build a new bridge between the generational gap of all of us crazy musicians. Let's find out how that relationship ever blossomed and how history got started and made with this beautiful soul and wonderfully talented man, L. Russell Brown. Hey, hey, L. Russell. Steve Azar, thank you for bringing me. I hope I can possibly, possibly own up to what you just said. About <laughs> oh, you, you can do a lot more than that. <laughs> how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling great. And, you know, what's exciting is that. The last week, I uh, I worked with uh, I wrote a song with J.J. Lawhorn. I don't know if you know who J.J. Mm-hmm. J. Yeah. J. Lawhorn is. <clears throat> Absolutely. What would so? How did that come about? This is beyond the pale. I was driving with my wife in the Hammer Lane, going past Knoxville at eighty miles an hour, <laughs> and I got a blowout in my G ninety. And I pulled over as fast as I could in a car. Immediately stopped. And a young man got out and not only fixed my tire, but he cut his hand in the process. And while he was down there, I asked his girlfriend what he does. And she said, well, he's got a, a band that he makes records. I said, is that true? <laughs> she says, well, what do you do? I said, well, what's the way that he's done? So and then he gets back up. I tell him who I am. And I said, we got we got to get together. You know, something made this happen. So uh, the other day I go to J.J. Lawhorn's house in the middle of the woods and I go on a one-way street, and my car, I back my car up and turn around, and I end up getting stuck again. 
and, and my chassis is touching the ground and my feet are down and I got a, a 50 foot drop in front of me so I call JJ and I say JJ I'm on my way to your house but I'm stuck again <laughs> so he got with his tractor and he pulled me out and we realized that there were you know that this was something that was supposed to be and we sat down and wrote this incredible song called We Are All We're All Americans about how we need to put our differences aside because at this time we need to become one again and You're forget so right. what you know what our differences are. That's that's for sure. But we wrote this great song and and I said to him, you know, I'm thinking of contracting you, JJ, for roadside. <laughs> Yeah. I just, I just said, I think JJ has a, a car, sir, a car repair service, and uh, probably has a, a tow truck back there. You know, a lot of our farmer friends that you know that write, they come from these small towns. I, I love interviewing them because they're they've got they're just characters, but they also can do anything when they're like they're like Mister Fixer, you know? Oh yeah, he's a coon hunter. He got in trouble for coon hunting on public property with uh, 10 of his dogs. But he's a wild man. He's a genius. He is really a future superstar. Wow. Uh, you know, and I love working with him. He comes from a whole different place than me, but we really found a middle ground that was beautiful. So going to Dan Auerbach, my friend uh, David Ferguson, who was Johnny Cash's engineer mm-hmm. right up till the day he died for 20-some-odd years, introduced me to Dan Auerbach, and we sat down and, and we instantly hit it off because he's, he's an old garage rocker. And that's how I started with what's called garage rock music mm-hmm. with uh, Richard and the Young Lions. We had a number one record in George right. Detroit for five weeks. So Dan Albrecht and I sat down and he got me up every day and made me write three songs a day for eight months. <laughs> how I did it, I have no idea, but it was incredible. And it it made me feel, it, it just got me going again you know what i mean it's nothing like working if you want to be young work with young people you're obviously proving it was there a break in the action where you just sort of laid low from writing in your career or have you always been pretty steady up until this year where i only wrote one song and that was with the great roger cook i don't know if you know roger yeah yeah of course and uh english guy i like to teach the world to sing and oh god his hit list is endless and we wrote one beautiful song, but we never demoed it. And then I kind of like, I got transfixed into this show. Tony Orlando has a show coming to Broadway in 2020. And it's going to have most of my greatest hits in it. And Tony, it's not a jukebox show. It's a story of of, of great downfalls and great tragedy and great victory. Mm-hmm. And uh, a courageous guy who... who Oh, who's always been there for the U.S. military. He's right. He's been in rooms where people come back with no arms and legs. Right. And he's, he's been there talking to them. I don't know how he does it, but and he's kept my music alive. So my focus has been on that show in 2020. And uh, insofar as Dan Auerbach, he has a new album out with the Black Keys, and it's number one on the, on the rock chart, so I'll just have to wait my turn. But I'm happy I'll follow the number one record. <laughs> that. Do you have the next single? Well, I don't know if I have the next single, but I know that when Dan Auerbach starts starts making his next album again, I'll be well represented. <laughs> and and it's sure always will. good to be following the success, you know? It, it makes it easier. It's Broadway, right? Correct. And I want to talk about one other thing, Steve. Sure. I, I'd like to talk about, and I don't go on, what they call it, what do you call it, media, media? Uh, like Facebook and the general media. All the social media right now. So thank you. I, 
I try to stay away from that, but I just read something and it bothered me, so I wrote this down. I'll say it to you. Yeah. You know, Mozart and Beethoven, they wrote their music 250 years ago, and yet we still hear it today played on the radio, and we still have hits with it, and we st it's still the basis for our music as we know it, mm -hmm. whether it's pop or country or any kind of music. It's still the basis of music. And, and then when I, even though I've had a, a, a tremendous rap hit with Teddy Riley and Blackstreet, I still found that this kind of communication is, doesn't necessarily contain melody, so it's a it's an exclusive form of communication, and it excludes people, which I don't particularly like. That I like to include everybody in the music and hope that everybody likes it. Right. So for me, uh, I, I like the you know, the melodies of Mozart and Beethoven, and and the music of today, pop music, and and. You know, those are my heroes. Uh, uh, Hank Williams, Irving Berlin. You know what I mean? Roger Miller. Right. Those people. As you've, you can get on a soapbox. By the way, we're you know Super Talk Mississippi, and we're all rocking and rolling down here. Can Can I ask you as you, uh, as you have evolved, right? Um, and the media has gotten to be anybody's voice, right? Is it? Uh, is it could it be beneficial uh, but okay there's just seems to be so so many opinions now and a lot of the opinions are, you know some of them are brutal <laughs> you know what i mean by by regular you know they're not writers or they're you know they're, i'm just trying to figure out what i want to say here but i think you were trying to go somewhere and uh and and sometimes it, it it's almost like um, and forget music, just anything in general, the bullying that can go on and just, just the hateful stuff that can be said. Now, with that said, there's a lot of beautiful stuff that, that's said, but it just seems like it's a wild west sometimes, and sometimes people shouldn't say anything, you know? They're not going to say anything good, sort of that old adage. Well, you know, you know what I think people should start to say? They should start to say, like, when my brother-in-law was in the Korean War, and a, a hand grenade came into the foxhole they were in with five guys, mm -hmm. and a black guy jumped on it and killed himself and saved those five white soldiers. Right. And then after that, there's been instances where white guys have run out or Hispanics have run out and kill, got themselves killed trying to save another soldier who was of a different color. Right. Okay? Who was, right. who was a black man. So what we got to focus on is that we saved each other and we belong to each other. And we have to forget this discord. Right now, it's a bad time. We got to come back together again, and we have to realize that we're one people, one nation, and put those differences aside for now. I totally agree. Now let's go forward. We are with the great L. Russell Brown. You're in the Keep Thank Mississippi you. Beautiful Studios. I'm Steve Azar in Mississippi Minute. We're gonna keep on rolling. Want to know what's happening with your Ole Miss Rebels? Get insights and analysis from Brian Scott Rippey and Colin Brewster on each episode of the Rebel Report Podcast. You'll get the inside track on Ole Miss Athletics. The Rebel Report Podcast is free and available on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Rebel Report on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Rebel Report Podcast from Supertalk Mississippi. Better than finding an open parking spot on the square. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Mississippi Beautiful Studios, and I think it's fitting that I have a beautiful soul on the phone with me. I'm so excited. Our buddy, our mutual friend, Carrie Kurt Phillips, uh, connected us, and uh, I got Carrie Kurt coming to the Delta pretty soon. El Russell, he'll never be the same. <laughs> it's Let me be tell you something. Carrie <laughs> Kurt has taught me a lot. Uh, he's one of the greatest songwriters I have ever come across. Yeah, he's so good. Uh, he's amazing. I when I first met him, I was like a fan. I and I told him, "You wrote, brought me up beside the jukebox when I died." <laughs> and he looked at me cross-eyed. He said, "So what?" I said, "Well, it's amazing." What did your folks do, and were they into what you were about to in, in, do for the rest of your life? Oh no, I was the oldest of seven children in the housing projects of Newark. And uh, and nobody was interested in me because they had other kids to look for, and they were very poor. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I graduated uh, grammar school, the, the eighth grade teacher told me, "If you have, you, we're pushing you through. You don't deserve to graduate the eighth grade. Hmm. And if you have any aspirations for higher education, I get them quickly out of my mind." That's what she told me. But then they had me come back in that school in thirty years and give a talk to the kids. Right, I love that. Well, there you go. All right, so so Larry, if I can call you that, in the state, in the entire state of Mississippi, and all the people listening around the country, podcasted. Um, okay, so where did it start for you? Who were you? Who was your mentor that came along? You and I had a discussion off when we first talked. Uh, I didn't want to dig too far into it, but it's uh, it's a little bit of my heritage uh, back in the. Even though we're four generations Mississippi. Uh, obviously, it's still I still know how to make grape leaves and all that. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you something, and you'll see the impetus behind me. I went down to Elvis's build, the little building where he, in Tupelo where he was born. Right. My wife and I we went into that little room, which is you know 400 square feet if it's that, and uh, and I seen the humble beginnings, and I first heard Elvis's songs on. Sun Records, <clears throat> That's All Right, Mama, and, and Mystery Train, and My Baby Left Me. And it, it touched me. Uh, it, I, I just felt that there was something special about that. And I bought a guitar, you know, and uh, and, and I wanted to be Elvis. That was my dream, just like the Beatles. Uh, I wanted to be Elvis. I wanted to be a performer. So I wrote, it, it's, I learned how to play three chords, and instead of playing somebody else's songs, I wrote my own. Mm. Not because I wanted to be a songwriter. You see, I failed at what I wanted to be. Total failure. I wanted to be a performer, like you, Steve. And then after around five hits, one day I walked out of my house, I said, Brown, (laughs) you've got hit songs, they're paying the bills. Go with it. You become a songwriter. So that's how it happened, by mistake. Okay, so when you come home and tell your mom, hey, uh... And was your dad still, how old was your dad? Uh, well, actually, I was married, and I had my first uh, uh, record out there, and Bob Cruz signed me. But I had been married when he signed me. Right. My wife was working, and I was going uh, going into New York City trying to you know, show my songs. Same for me. My wife was, when we moved to Nashville, I'd had a, a whole career before Nashville. So I was late. And then I got to Nashville, 
you know, uh, back in the day, uh, I, I, I was in, I spent a couple beautiful days, uh, different times with Ahmed Erdogan. He was interested in me. He just couldn't figure me out. So we right. were playing all the time. I mean, out of college, I was playing probably, you know, 22 to 25 times, uh, uh a month. It was no, we, look, we'd play anything. You, I mean, people, every high school that ever was in the entire Arkland Miss area, they, when they see me, hey, we, you were at our high school. I said, no fooling. <laughs> I know I played your high school, but I, I actually thought it was over like six or seven different times in my life. And then finally got a, a handful of publishing offers when I thought it was done. But my wife, when we moved to Nashville, I mean, I was trying to hold on to as much publishing as I could, so obviously taking barely a draw, and she was working for Bell South. So, um, and you know, she she kept us together while I was trying to figure it out. And uh, trust me, it took me a, I was a slow learner when it come to really learning to write songs, just rather than writing them and going, okay, that's it. I had to I had to become a student, and it just took me a while. So, you told me about a, a Lebanese Christian guy. That you said you ran, that okay, you met? Well, in the very beginning, uh, I, uh, I met this, this fellow whose his name is Neville Abu Nader. And he had written some songs called Punisher. As a matter of fact, Erwin Levine, who I knew through a family member, I met, and, and he had had this diamond ring. The man I was, I was going to go on and have my greatest hits with him, actually, five years later, seven years later, wow. introduced me to Neville Nader. And I sat down with Neville in this dimly lit bed, uh, uh, bedroom of a hotel, the Roosevelt Hotel, and I played him a few songs. And he says, I think I could do something with you. So we started writing together, and then he got somebody to make a, a, a beautiful record of one of them. And then, and then uh, if it wasn't for Neville Nader, who taught me my first real structure of songs, then I met the greatest person in my life, Bob Crew. He signed me from this one record, and he signed me as a songwriter, and Bob Crew wrote and produced The Four Seasons, yeah. and Mitch Ryder, and, you know, and so many great people, and so many great superstars, and, uh, and he, he made me write a song every day for three years, and he paid me, and at the end of three years, uh, I had my first hit. Two hits in a row. I had Soccer to Me Baby for Mitch Ryder in the Detroit Wheels. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, song. are you kidding me? That's so cool. That's just too cool. And so he was just obviously, okay, so we talked about yeah. Danny Thomas as well. My, You know, we uh, I got to meet Danny as a kid and, and St. Jude obviously being close to us. My brother's on the board now and just, just and my daughter brought, my, my, my daughter painted in the cancer ward Alice in Wonderland at St. Jude for three months. That's just unbelievable. <clears throat> unbelievable. Wow. So that that place is so dear to my heart. Yeah. And that's the that is the one organization that my wife sends a check to every month. Yeah. Boy, boy, once you go in there. And you talked about as well uh, visiting the soldiers and stuff. I've done it. And, and I've done it again and I I walk out there uh it's it's difficult. Um you know, to to watch someone with with literally losing two arms or two legs or all of it, and then their their wife's pushing them, and they have a new baby, and you walk out of there just feeling, you know, it's hard. That's the hardest thing I think I've ever done in my life. Well, you know, I got to tell you a little instance, a fascinating thing. I, I was in this Chinese restaurant downtown. What's the name of it? The big one down, BMJ. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know six years ago. And my wife says, don't turn around. I said, why not? She said, just don't turn around. Yeah. 
and and then finally I paid the check and she got out and when I got up and turned around and there was this giant big hulk of a guy a black guy who must have been six foot six he was he was in a wheelchair and he had a little tube attached to his mouth mm. he couldn't move his arms or his legs <sighs> I know he was an accident <laughs> and no one would look at this guy yeah but L. Russell Brown in all his madness leaned over and whispered in his ear. They didn't get your taste buds. Enjoy the meal. Yeah. Yeah. And he smiled at me. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, th- that's, I love that. And you know what? St. Jude's the same way. But for some reason, when I leave St. Jude, it's always so inspiring. But at the same time, you do deal with the reality of the kids, you know, that, that really, that don't get through. But man, St. Jude, what they've done for the ma- for for kids and the families that don't have to pay and it's unbelievable the success rate yeah my daughter after three months of seeing the suffering she couldn't paint anymore right right but right. the suffering is enormous but, but, but what they have done for the people and the children there is just God's work that's yeah, what I see it's They're God's angelic. work we're talking to the great L. Russell Brown uh, we are in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. Ariel Russell, Larry, my brother, you get to play DJ. Now, Mississippi is the birthplace of American music. We've had so many great artists. You talk to Elvis. The list goes on and on. So you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear into the break Paul Davis or Elvis Presley? Elvis Presley. All right. Sorry, Paul. God rest your soul, my man and Elvis. They're probably jamming up there together right now. We're going to be right back here in a Mississippi Minute. We are with the great, incredible... What a wonderful man. I've been so pumped about having this interview. Thank you, Stevie. With my man Larry, L. Russell Brown. We'll be right back. Kentucky rain keeps pouring down. And up ahead's another town that I'll go walking through. With the rain in my shoes. Searching for you. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey girl, what you doing down there? Dancing alone every night while I live right above you. I can hear your music playing. I can feel your body swaying. One floor below me, you don't even know. I'm Steve Azar, and you are in the Keep Mississippi beautiful studios. I'm looking around me. There's no trash anywhere around me. That's how I roll. I'm a little bit OCD, uh, so pay attention to that. Uh, We're in a Mississippi Minute, and I'm with L. Russell Brown, like I said. We call him Larry now. Uh, He is 79 years young, and he is still rolling. Um, So you moved to Nashville. When did you get to Nashville by way of Jersey? Well, we decided we had enough in New York City after 29 years, so we went out to L.A. And after 18 months in L.A., we said, this is not the place for us. So, Joe and I had had 
pop songs that became number one country songs. It's an illicit natural sounds like a good place to, to raise children. And I'm glad we did because we had all our grandchildren here. We came here. And even though it hasn't been in, it hasn't been an easy place for me to, to make uh, hit records, uh, I've had I'm on George Strait's last album. I left town for a, a year and George cut one of my songs. And that's impossible. I think <laughs> I, I was saying to myself, maybe, maybe that's a hint. <laughs> it's called. I, I thought I heard my heart sing. Oh uh, wow! But things have. But things turned around, and all of a sudden, who do I hook up with? Incredible Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys. So things are really, uh, uh, really going strong. Let me go back. Come on back. To even talk about the creation of uh, of Ty Yellow Ribbon. I want to hear it. Well, I used to read Reader's Digest for many different articles, you know, learn my vocabulary. And and, and there was one article about, uh, just about, a small article about people. And it said, here's a story that I heard in a Greenwich Village pub that had been handed down through the ages. So I said to myself, oh, a public, a public domain story. And he tells the story of a soldier coming back on a stagecoach from Andersonville Prison to Pennsylvania, and with his girl, if his girl wants him to get off the stagecoach, tie a yellow handkerchief on the big old tree outside of town, <laughs> and he couldn't bear to look. So, sure enough, they all screamed, and he looked, and it was covered with handkerchiefs. And I got a chill. I said, "I think I want to tell this to Levine Bar. This is going to be a great song." Wow! So I drive up to his house, thirty-three miles in the morning, and and he says to me. Brown, don't tell me any stories. I just want to write a song. <laughs> I said, well, just let me tell you this one fast. So I told it to him, and he said, I just got a rush on my neck. Tell it again. Yeah. So I told it again, and he said, well, handkerchiefs, you blow your nose in those things, and I don't like that. He said, and stagecoach is a little old. Let's make it into a bus. Huh. And I said, Irwin, what should we call it? He said, let's call it Tie Yellow Ribbon. <laughs> so I picked up my guitar, and I actually sang the first verse and chorus as if it was already written, all the words of music. Wow. And before I was done, Irwin wrote the second verse and said, write this down about the bus driver. Bus driver and when please, we were done, look for me. And this is eight minutes, this is about eight minutes into the song, Steve. He said, when you put the tape recorder on, when you get to the end, hit a chord and I'll sing the end of the song. <laughs> I said, you will? I said, look at him, you will? So I did it and, and then we played it back and jumped up and gave each other a high five. We knew we'd done something spectacular, chilling, <laughs> And then we brought it to New York City for 11 months, and nobody liked it. Of course they didn't. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Matter of fact, they said we should be ashamed of showing this song <laughs> about a ribbon in a tree when we have things flowing. Okay, so how does Tony Orlando hear it? Well, after frustration of 11 months, we went to Hank Meadows, who had given us Knock Three Times and Candida two years before. And we said, can we play this song? So we played it for Hank, and Hank had these big coke Ben Franklin glasses and his eyes kind of floated. He had some kind of wrong with him. And he just sat there silently. And when it was all up, he jumped up and screamed, it's a smash, I'm cutting it with Tony. <laughs> and the next day I, I went in and played it for Tony and Tony said, I, I could never sing that song, Brad. That's a country song. I like, you should do it. I like the one. I told him, it's not country, it's, it's everything. It's country, pop, yeah. folk. And his, his, his producer forced him to do it. Wow. And now the audience forces him to do it every night. <laughs> Did you tell him, look, Tony, not only is this uh, 
not just a, a country record, a pop record. It's going to be recorded over 3,000 times by the time I'm 79. <laughs> I would have said that to him. He would have said, Brown, we've got to find you a doctor. But, uh, but uh, all I said to him was that we need you to do it, Tony. You're the artist. You'll do it great. He said, but I don't understand it. I'm an R&B singer like, like Benny King. Wow. So he went and did it. And, and what it was, it was the, the obtuse connection of his Puerto Rican soul and this kind of pop and this English, kind of English Beatles sounding song, you know? Yeah. Bus driver, please look for me. Because I couldn't You know, when, 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 when we had this song, we were driving around New York City and it was number one. I said to Erwin Levine one day, you know, I thought this song was going to be recorded by more people than just one person. He says, Larry, it takes time. I had no idea it was going to be recorded by thousands of people. Man. You know, so it's like that, just the, that is just a blessing. Just the, the wall came down and there it was, all these recordings. <laughs> it's just. It's, and I thank every, each and every person out there that likes it. And that's the reason, you know, that I exist. Who doesn't love it? Are you kidding? So that's just amazing. All right, let's talk. I wanted to ask you this question a little while ago, and my brain went sideways. It got a little foggy, so you got to forgive me. It happens a lot. Uh, the first time you came home and you had a Bing Crosby hit, a, a cut, like, like what happened? Like, did y'all like, I mean, did, did people throw dishes against the wall celebrating? I mean, come on. It's Bing Crosby or Frank Sinatra. I mean, come on. That's crazy. Well, when I had the Bing Crosby record, uh, you know, I told my father, and he actually said some, you know, absolute insanity, like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> he didn't believe it, you know. Yeah. And when he came and saw it, he was, like, awestruck. Yeah. You know. Uh, but I, I, I think the most exciting version that I, I never asked anybody to record Ty Yellow Room except Tony Orlando and one other person. I found this huge envelope that was a foot wide. And a little tiny card as big as your pinky, and on the card, and on the card, and on the card, I wrote, "Your talent is dear Montavani." I think I finally wrote a song that could fit into your repertoire. Your talent is the envelope minus the card, L. Russell Brown. And I put this tiny card in the envelope and sent it to St. John's Woods, England. And a year later, in a record store, there was this new album, and it had both Yellow Ribbon and Sweet Gypsy Rose on it. Wow. And, they, and he did it incredibly. Yeah. With this huge orchestra. Have you heard any bad recordings of it? Or is it never a bad recording? Like, you know, like, oh, they, oh, they heard, missed it. Oh, I'll tell you the worst version of all. <laughs> if you listen to the movie, if you watch the movie, An Officer and a Gentleman, they play it for like a nine minutes. <laughs> and it, it's, a, it's like an Air Force band, purposely, you know, like a real C band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's not. But it's good. done that way. It's done. And they play feelings off key. They did it, you know, to, to do a spoof. I think. On, oh, okay. You know, lounge bands. Oh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. We are with the great L. Russell Brown. You're in the Keep Thank Mississippi you. beautiful studios. I'm Steve Azar in the Mississippi Minute. We're gonna keep on rolling. It 
all the way back in 1989, my wife and I newly married and I was working on making my mark on the music business. We wanted to build a house. There was only one bank that helped us do that. And while we were trying to find our way around, our friends at Guarantee Bank started on the journey with us and have been there ever since. They were always my connection back home when we lived in Music City. They believed in me. So when you need a financial institution to believe in you, give my family at Guarantee Bank a chance. With humble beginnings all the way back to 1943, Guarantee Bank has grown from offering basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. They are proud to be your local big-time bank. Please visit one of their 17 locations and tell them Steve Azar sent you. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. It took a long time to find In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. To see I'm Steve Azar, and you are in the Keep Mississippi beautiful studios. We're in a Mississippi Minute, and I'm with L. Russell Brown, like I said. We call him Larry now. Uh, He is 79 years young, and he is still rolling. So what's on the agenda for you? Take take me in the life of uh, of Larry L. Russell Brown today. What do you got going on? Well, you know, I got a wife of uh, 54. Some odd years, and and I got three daughters and seven grandkids, and they take so much of my time. Papa do this, Papa do that, pop, you know. <laughs> and here I am. I'm, you know, every day I find out that I got. I'm in this new movie, uh, Best of Enemies, or else I have this commercial. And I got to keep on watching this stuff, but I want to stay creative. Right. So and that's what makes me. That's what makes me move. So I went over and wrote this song with J.J. Lawhorn. And I cannot wait to hear the demo he's going to make on it in another day or so. That's just so. That's the. In other words, I actually wrote a song this week. I'm waiting for the demo, and it's a song of great importance, not just right. a potential hit. Right. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting how we meet people. Obviously, that was bizarre, and it was meant to be. That was in that was in the plan for you to have a blowout, and and him to be the. You know, for, I believe for JJ to be there at that moment could have been anybody, and it, it but then it couldn't have been anybody. And also, uh, you say say something very uh, to me prophetic, and that is uh, that you keep creative to keep moving. You stay creative to keep moving, and I get it. I couldn't imagine ever. People go, "Are you you still make?" I said, "Well, yeah, man. I I can't imagine not coming in here and spending enough time being creative and writing songs because." I mean, it does. It keeps you breathing. It keeps you going, and it keeps my wife from just like wanting to just stab me with a butter knife because I got all this energy and I've got to do something with it, and that calms me. It's the only place that I'm really calm. You know what I mean? You know what I I, I seen on TV? Somebody said that a shark, in order to breathe, it has to keep moving forward to force the air through its lungs, the water and through mm. through its lungs. Mm. So I think that I'm kind of like that shark. I got to keep on going forward, you know, and keep on moving just like you. Yeah. Or else yeah. we become stagnant. Right. And yeah. and the best way to get really old is to hang around with really old people. 
<laughs> so I'm looking to work with, and 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 JJ Lohorn is 25. Yeah. Of course, I stretched it when I worked with uh, Dan Auerbach. He's in his upper 30s. He's a little old for me. Yeah, he is a little. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey! So we're talking to L. Russell Brown. So Larry, tell me this: when you're talking to your grandkids, how's the? Give me a range of age. Well, our, our little girl, she's uh, Allison, and she plays the ukulele and guitar and flute, and she's 13. Okay. How old's the know, oldest? And then I, and then I, my oldest is 27, who starts today at a super job downtown. She graduated MIT, and she looked for a year, and she finally got a great job starting. Today. MIT, that just that's amazing. Yeah. And then I got I, I got a grandson, another grandson from Hawaii, but he's living here now, who's a musician. He's a waiter, and he's a he's a brilliant rock musician, and he's a youth player too. So I know he's got designs on the business. I'm trying to talk him out of it, but I may not be able to. No, no, no. You know, don't don't do that. Don't do that. But I, my point to is this. When you come home and, and you tell the whole all the grandkids that Dan Auerbach and you have just written enough songs for uh, like nine albums, I mean, are they like going, that's the coolest thing ever? <laughs> you know, the really weird thing about these kids is they have eclectic taste in music. It's not what they don't really follow the charts, the pop, they're digging back and they want to hear Paul Simon and, yeah. you know, and, and the Beatles. It's kind of weird. And uh, one of my grandsons, he likes to hear James Brown and, and, and he likes to hear Jackie Williams, you know. So it, it, it's, uh, kids today have a, a different taste. They're not all locked into what's happening on the charts. They're, right. they're reaching and searching for all kind of music. And, you know, let me say something to you, Steve. And this is kind of like conclusive for me. And I think you're going to go with this. I don't believe that there's different kinds of music like rap music, pop music, Latin music, whatever. I believe there's only two kinds of songs. Yeah. Songs that's hits and songs that ain't. Yeah, you're exactly right. And no one's done it better than you. And I can't tell you, you how thrilled I am to have spent and Mississippi Minute with you from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. It all makes sense. And I can't, I, I, is there any chance that I could convince you and your bride to come visit us sometime down here in the Mississippi Delta? I could show you around. Uh, uh, I love Mississippi. Yeah. I love Mississippi. I love northern Mississippi. It's so beautiful. Uh, people don't know the little hills and everything. I, oh, yeah. And I, 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 I've been to Mississippi. And yes, maybe, maybe uh, in, in the fall, when yes. it's you know, October kind of time, that'll be a great time. To a lot smarter, a lot smarter temperature-wise. Right now, it's about going to be right. a little warm. So you got it. Well, listen, blessings. You're in my prayers. I can't thank you enough. And, uh, you know, thanks for hanging with me. And I love you, pal. Appreciate you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. beginnings all the way back to 1943. Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big-time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank with its 17 convenient locations, help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank, 
Member FDIC. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.